0: Bertha Charuma on SAFM. And of course, uh, we are having some interesting conversations. We had a hashtag Tuesday takeover. we had Paul as our guest, and we are moving on just in case you missed the conversations. It is now nineteen minutes just before ten and it is the last hour of the show and just finished a conversation about how much we spend on funerals. And now Global watch the renewal of human rights to meet uh, global challenges. The story we often hear about human rights is one of malaise, as though the best days are behind us. But while the, universe, uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, commemorating 75 years, is a moment of sober reflection, it is also a time for renewed hope in a world that needs hope. And uh, the COVID-19 pandemic laid bare the gross inequalities, but into the international system, climate change is threatening uh, the livability of the planet while those who have done least to cause it face worsening threats. And this you can look at africa we had the most amazing resource which is coal and all of a sudden uh coal has the it it emits the worst pollution and we have to shut down all those mines so that we use alternative or renewable energy and you know it's a whole it's, it's it's a it's a it's a conundrum literally some form of a i don't know how we we can actually settle to come to a consensus of sorts. But I think let me leave it to experts to unpack. I do have uh, David Griffiths, human rights consultant and associate fellow uh, with uh, Chatham House. Good evening and a warm welcome to SAFM. Thank you,
1: it's great to be on the show, thank you.
0: Now this is a very, very complex conversation when we talk about human rights. And I think maybe breaking it down into layman's terms would be the best way to start our conversation.
1: Sure, of course. Well, let me just start by saying that as you as you mentioned earlier, this year we're commemorating 75 years since the Universal Declaration of Human Rights came into being in nineteen forty eight, after the end of the Second World War, but also a period of great flux in the world, decolonization. Um, and a whole change in the world order. And the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was kind of a foundation for looking to a hopeful future Um, And and that's what what human rights fundamentally are all about. They are two things. Uh, One, a, a kind of a language that helps us to talk about the kind of world that we want to live in, the kind of societies that we want to live in, based on values of human dignity and equality and our aspirations to live together in peace. So it's that kind of that discourse about how we want to Uh, to live as a society. And secondly, human rights have become developed into a very elaborate legal system. So they are written into the constitutions of many countries in the world. Most countries in the world uh, have uh, significant rights enumerated in them, in domestic law and of course in international law as well. So human rights is both a kind of a moral language about the kind of world that we want to be and a set of laws and constitutions and so on that help us to fight for that world and to and to um, to bring it into being.
0: Mm. I was just looking at uh, look taking a look at the artificial intelligence, for instance. I found that very interesting mm. in the sense that how then how do you define it? How do you decode? How do you break it down uh, so that you know uh, in 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 coping and uh, staying on the same level in terms of technology and being in touch with technology, um, where where do we bridge? Where do we find that, that bridging gap where then you know that I think now I'm stepping on human rights?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, of course, artificial intelligence is this sort of big scary thing in front of us in, in some ways. It's intimidating. We don't really know... What the future holds. Uh, even the experts um, tell us that they're worried, while others are telling us that you know this holds the key for uh, a glorious future. And the truth is, we we just don't really know. Um, and the question, as we, uh, as the the technologists develop um, more and more sophistication in artificial intelligence um you know it raises the question of like you know just because we can do all of this does it mean that we should and how do we make those uh, moral decisions you know there's a, there's a there's a there's a lot of technological know-how um but at some point the kind of morality questions come into play of like how do we how do we manage this thing that is um causing such upheaval to or has the potential to cause so much upheaval to how we live and of course you know there are lots of different ways of answering that question but i think human rights can help us to some degree as almost like a set of guardrails you know um in saying that okay we need to protect human dignity and equality and here's what that looks like and so human rights um provide us with a like a wise framework to help us to navigate some of these really difficult challenges that that AI is throwing in front of us right now.
0: Mm. And in celebrating the 75 years, let's come back to that. What what mm. is the main theme? 75 years is a long is a long time. Mm. Now that we are here, what are the main points or the main themes that we really need to zone in to understand you know, the basic substance of human rights?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if we look back on the history of human rights, it's a global story that spans 75 years, so it's very difficult to condense that into anything short and simple. But I think we can say that human rights have provided a really important vehicle for so many struggles for justice and freedom and equality and dignity and economic development um, in so many parts of the world. But I think what's what's important now is, you know, as we look back on the many accomplishments of human rights, we also look back on the way that uh, powerful states, especially, um, you know, not least the the United States, of course, but the Soviet Union historically, China today, many powerful states have kind of instrumentalized, politicized human rights. Um, for for different ends so it's a checkered history it's a it's a checkered history looking back but if we look forwards you know I think so there's a there's a question of you know what are the big global challenges that we're facing now Mm -hmm. Uh, and to what extent can human rights perhaps help us to navigate some of those challenges and so I think you know if the past has been often about you know, individual rights in the face of state violence and discrimination and so on. You know, part of the the future of human rights has to be about how this whole framework can help us to get to grips with big existential challenges like climate change, as you started with, like the challenge of AI and technology, and also with the the great unfinished business of economic inequality. Uh, The world is becoming more unequal not less uh, and that's a that's a trajectory when you you know look at it in light of of the climate crisis when you look at it in light of who controls the technology that is going to shape so much about the future you know inequalities are are a big concern and so i think you know what i am arguing for now is that we really need to sort of focus the human rights agenda very strongly on confronting economic inequality, on confronting the climate crisis, uh, on addressing the, the, the challenges that technology is putting in front of us. I think, you know, those are three gigantic challenges right, right in the years ahead of us.
0: Yeah, it's 10 minutes just before 10 and uh, we are going to take a small break and when when we come back, we continue with our conversation. In case you would like to also be part of the conversation, maybe you want to ask or you have a viewpoint, uh, you can always share on our WhatsApp voice note line, which is 0614104107, or you can give us a call on 086-0002032. And just before we take that break, let's take a look at what's coming. Ten years ago, we said hamba to the father of the nation. A lot has changed in ten years. International <laughs> affairs on the viewpoint. Yes, it is the viewpoint. And uh, I'm talking to uh, David Griffiths, uh, human rights consultant and associate fellow with uh, Chatham House. Uh, welcome back, uh, David. So, just before we took a break, something was just bubbling in my brain, where, in, especially when it comes to language conversation or narrative, uh, rather, mm. we, we've become such a very sensitive lot. So you need to, you know, I, I, and I, I struggle to then know when it's wrong or right. It is very, very sensitive. And how, how mm. then do you bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it's a big question that, that everyone is facing at the moment. Um, and I mean... You know, I think sometimes these conversations go straight to the culture wars, and it's like, you know, people take extreme positions against each other, um, and so on. But you know, there's there's something there's something good happening here fundamentally, which is I think that we are becoming more and more attuned to uh, uh, to to each other's positions in life, um, and to the you know the quiet things that you know, hurt us, um, that we, that we may one uh, in the past have, have kind of felt the need to suppress and so on. So I think there's this sort of growing awareness, um, of each other and of the diversity of the world and trying to find kind of sensitive ways of navigating that, but you're right, you know, that, that comes with, um, uh, challenges, and as you said, sometimes it feels like we've become a very sensitive lot and you can't say anything and uh, people get scared about expressing any opinions because of the fear of saying it wrong or being shut down. And I mean, you know, I think it's kind of important that we don't blow this too much out of proportion. And so much of the time, it's it's about being understanding to one another. Um, and as simple as that treating each other with respect being willing to listen being willing to explain um and being genuinely willing to kind of encounter each other's humanity properly so the question for me i think is how do we move past this sort of polarization and the risk of of everything getting and ending up in a culture wars frame and instead kind of reclaim the human art of conversation
0: Mm. To I've me, got...
1: that's what this is finally
0: about. Okay. Um, David, I've got a voice note. Let's take one voice note. Let's hear.
1: Mm-hmm. Hi, Beta. Why are human rights so easily uh, uh, violated? Or is it because uh, these human rights are just wishy-washy policies? Thank you, Willy here in Kuma.
0: Okay, that's really there. What 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 do you say about that David? What's your take on it?
1: Well, it's a, it's a great question. And I mean, I think the the feeling that human rights are violated um and that the that there's nothing we can do about it is is itself a kind of a starting point to act for justice, right? Um and, you know, human rights are uh, they're in law. They're in constitutions and laws, and so um, yes, they are violated. But at least we have, in theory, at least the recourse of the law uh, against them and, and, and the courts and so on. Now, it doesn't always work out like that, but you know, I think human rights give us a framework for addressing and and confronting um, experiences of of in, injustice and affront to human dignity.
0: Mm, mm. And then there's the big one, abuse of power, especially from the political Mm. elites.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And that one just becomes uh, difficult, yeah.
1: It does become difficult. It does become difficult. And I mean, in a way, you know, that's that's what we we need to think about human rights as a way of confronting the abuse of power that's fundamentally what human rights are about they are they are a bottom up framework for ordinary people to confront the abuse of power um and you know it's it's hard it doesn't happen overnight you know there's no panacea here um but this is sort of a, a tool that that we have, and I think one of the challenges that we face is when human rights become a project of the elites and they become kind of guarded by the elites and they and and there's a sort of you know losing losing touch with with the ordinary people and their struggles for dignity for equality and for justice and uh, we must never lose sight of that that you know human rights is fundamentally about the struggle um, and the struggle against the abuse of power and accountability is hard it's really hard it doesn't just happen uh, it takes political will it takes um, you know uh, immense, uh effort uh to to get there but there are many stories of when it does happen right and those are the stories that i think keep us going when we when we're facing up against injustice in the world
0: mm. let's take one more um voice note before we we close our conversation
1: good evening south africa this is sabiso here in purchase uh thanks for a nice show here at the viewpoint Yeah, I'm just here to raise my view on this issue of human rights. Um, I hear the guest there, Mr. David, I think so, is saying that uh, in 1948, this is where these human rights issues started, or they were raising it. But my concern is that in South Africa, when I read my history, saying in 1948 was the time when apartheid was formalized. So how was the world trying to solve the human rights issues and in South Africa we're starting to be separated based on our identities.
0: Okay, Um, David?
1: I mean of course this is such a a big and important one and um, uh, and and I think you know the question there has hit on something very important, which is the the hypocrisy of so many states um, around the world and how they use and talk about human rights. Uh, of course, you know the example that was given there is 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 one of the the most profound anywhere in the world. We also saw it in the the U.S. war on terror, right after 2001, where uh, human rights were. Massively violated by the by the United States in the name of promoting human rights and democracy uh, in in other countries, and so this hypocrisy has always has always been there. But I think that the the on the other hand, right? Uh, let's look at 1965. Um, 1965, the first um, Covenant, the first international treaty which took human rights into law was uh, was adopted by the United Nations. And that was the first covenant to be adopted was the International Convention on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Mm. And that came from the experience of decolonization, of confronting the racism that was encoded into the international system. The momentum for that came from the continent of Africa. Mm. And so it was that was that which rescued the human rights project uh, which was at that time faltering and at danger of failing and the first time that this was codified in law um, was to deal with um, the, the horrors of racial discrimination. So it's actually that, that terrible history of pain yeah. that has set human rights on the path for the future. Yeah,
0: David, uh, I think we have to live it here. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on uh, The Viewpoint and uh, hopefully in the near future we'll be engaging once again. That's David Griffiths, Human Rights Consultant and Associate Fellow with uh, Chatham House and of course uh, talking about human rights. Oliver is up next with Night Talk and thank you so much for joining Joining us um, on the viewpoint, uh, standing in for Seng- Songhezo. It's just gone after 10, and it's time for news.